0: All right. So yeah, we were supposed to start a new sermon series. We're going to pause on that a little bit. But we're going to go back a little bit to uh, back early last year. We were doing a series on the I am statements of Jesus. And this is one of those passages. So there are several points in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus makes the statement. He says, I am and then he goes on to whoever he's with, and he explains in, in deeper revelation who he is, who he really is. He's talking to his closest followers, his closest friends. And so in these passages, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the gate and the good shepherd, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's one that even if you haven't been in church for a while, you've heard that phrase, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at the passage we just talked about, John 15, 1 through 8, I am the true vine. So we'll start right there. We'll start in verse 1, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So let's take a moment, we'll pause here, and aside from just being a slick illustration or analogy, which which it's a great analogy that we'll talk about later on about gardening and vine, cultivating, things like that. Why does it make sense for Jesus to use this phrasing with the people he's talking to? So obviously, we're reading these words in 2022, but he's with followers, he's with people of that time, so why would he use the analogy of a vine? Well, you see, multiple times throughout the Old Testament, Israel, so the chosen people that God separated to be his people, his holy people, these were people that were supposed to be a vine or a vineyard. Israel was to be a vineyard as some passages say that God planted for the passage of gro- or for the purpose of growing and flourishing and bearing good fruit in the world, and this beautiful ripe-bearing fruit of Israel was going to be a sign to the world that there is one true God, there is one God who is all holy, all just, righteous, who has created all things. That was what Israel was supposed to be, but, but if you know anything about the scriptures, we know that Israel were a people who were prone to forget God's word They were prone to very quickly forget his promises. Literally after being rescued from Egyptian captivity, they very soon were in the wilderness thinking, okay, we're going to have to make some idols because God must not be with us. So they fashioned all of their gold together to create an idol. They were very quick to forget and sin against God, and that left them fruitless in many regards that left Israel as the vine being fruitless or even in some passages bearing worthless or wild fruit. Isaiah 5.2 is an example of that. We don't have that up here, but an example of a vine that produced fruit that was worthless, wild. And there's this looking forward to throughout the Old Testament and anticipation that there would be a true vine that does produce good fruit. And so now becomes a little clearer, that when Jesus is speaking to the people of his time, and as we're hearing it now, these words, that, that that would have made a lot of sense, that Jesus isn't simply just making an illustration, he's not simply just coming up with a way for them to understand, like he does in so many different parables, he's saying, hey, I am the fulfillment of what Israel could not be, as the son of god is the mirror image of him on this earth i'm singularly the one true vine the absolution of his masterwork in all of creation what israel could not be i am so i hope that gives a little clarity of what those people would have been hearing and going oh i hear that and it gives us a little more understanding as we read through in the passage so let's let's move on we'll do verses 1 and 2 now i'm the true vine My father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch. We're going to sit on this for a little bit here. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, many of you at this point who are sitting in this room uh, you know me to some degree. You know my wife, Sarah, who's sitting up here. You've either met us both or met us individually. We moved here in the summer of 2020 with our two kids, Olive and Russell. Olive's up here. You can wave, Olive. It's okay. Yeah, she's right up there. Oh, hi, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's up here with her too. So we moved here to help start Storyline Church in the summer of 2020. Uh, and at the house we lived in back in Louisville on Charlemagne Parkway in J-Town, uh, we moved there in 2013, but it wasn't. We moved there in the summer, so in the spring of 2014, with the help of Sarah's grandparents and mom and dad, uh, we planted some nice little sweet pink rose bushes. We'll show you a picture here. Look at those little guys. Isn't that sweet? So to give you some perspective, one they're little. Uh, they're very pretty. But here's like a, here's one of our windows right here. So we planted these rose bushes, and. It was really awesome, you know, and when spring would hit and throughout the time we planted them, they already had some buds on them, but obviously they would grow more. So I'd walk outside knowing very little about plants. I'd see some new roses blooming. And then something that I didn't realize, not having a green thumb and not being very good with flowers or anything like that with very little background, after several weeks, I I honestly just thought, that the, they would bloom, they would stay like that, and then when winter came, it would die, and that would be it. Well, I didn't realize that every so many weeks, it was a cycle of the blooms would start to wilt, they'd turn brown, they'd lose their color. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, what a bummer. Like, I guess that's, that's how roses work. You get them for like four weeks, and then you just have to wait till next year when they bloom. Sarah, obviously, knew better than this and so what I realized, Sarah would get up, she'd probably do this five or six times, maybe more throughout the spring and the summer until it had fall. She'd get up on like a Saturday morning, she'd get her tools together and she'd spend an hour or two trimming up, pruning back those old, wilted and dead blooms so that more growth could occur. So, and, and this is what it eventually looked like when we moved like that. So that's that same window right there, so that was, what, uh, about six years later with careful, you know, cultivating the ground, pruning, taking care of the bushes. They got huge. They, like, became a thing that when we took pictures of our house to sell it, we were like, can you make sure to get the side with the roses so that maybe somebody that likes flowers will be like, that's nice. Like, because it takes a long time to get those to grow like that. Some people really dig it. Um, But the point of it all is that it takes the tender care of a master gardener. It takes the care of someone that knows what is good for the rose bushes to help them grow, even if in the moment, to, to an ignorant observer, it would look like you're just cutting those roses. What are you doing? I don't understand. And this isn't too unlike how I think we experience it in our lives when it talks about God pruning so that there is more fruit. If you're a Christian... If you're someone that's placed your faith in Jesus and you're following him, you will bear fruit in your life. But the point is not that you just bear fruit or that you blossom that fruit one time only. That's not the point is that you have some point in life where God just allows there to be this beautiful increase and maybe you've got a month span that all of the work you're gonna do for his kingdom is in that part. No, not at all. His goal would be that you would continue to grow. He's a master gardener and a vine dresser that carefully will prune and cut back to ensure there's more fruit. But what does that look like in our lives? Well, it's so difficult to know in literally how the Lord is working, especially in the moment. But what it might look like in your life is it could look like some of those tougher and more difficult seasons where you weren't quite sure how you were gonna press on You weren't quite sure how you were going to get through. But now, in some of those circumstances, if they've already passed, you've already made it through them, you're standing on the other side of it, and you look back and you go, okay, I, I see what's going on. I see what had to be done for me to be this person. I see how more fruit has been born into my life because of difficulties I had to go through things that I had to go through trials to understand deeper and deeper how to rely on the Lord so so be encouraged pruning by nature requires cutting back it requires things being trimmed up being made a little more concise a little more stable a little more compact it might take its fair share of struggles and you might actually be in one of those moments right now now This is not a tricky way to say, hey, anything tough going on in your life, it's absolutely the Lord pruning you. And so press on, don't worry about anything, don't make any changes, just live through it. Well, that might not be the case. There could be a lot of reasons, but it could be that in a moment like this, if you persevere, if you lean on him for strength, it could be a moment to where as time goes by, whether months or years, you look back and you go, okay, I wouldn't be able to be bearing the fruit I am now as this age, this person with this experience when I was back here in this circumstance. Some of you might be thinking of something right now that, okay, yeah, that was me three years ago with this situation and this situation. And some of you might be going right now, oh man, that might be a little bit of what's going on right now. My my encouragement to you in any scenario would be to press on, pray to your father, know that his spirit will guide you. So let's take a look here at some of the next verses. We're gonna look at three through six now. Three starts out, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they're burned. And you see, in this passage right here, Jesus is giving us a really incredible and simple, yet it's really, really profound. It's a really, really profound thought. Remain in me and I in you. It's right there in verse four. In some translations, you might even have one, uses the word abide, abide in me. And I and you. And I think I love the word abide. It's one that that even in the church we just don't use a ton. We've got some songs that we sing that have that wording, but it's not a word that gets used in our common vernacular right now. But I think it's really rich in its language. And he, he prefaces his thoughts and words on abiding with verse three, where he makes sure we know. We're already set apart and changed because of the the salvation that he's done in our heart. We're already set apart and made clean, as it says. So we don't have to do anything to earn that. We're already wrapped in his righteousness when we first believe. And now, after that and because of that, the call is for us to remain, to abide in him. So why would he make that point? Why would he take the time to specifically call us to that? I think he's helping us to understand, and we all need to be reminded of this today, that he's the true life source. He's the life source and the connection by which we, as the branches as it calls us here, get what we need to produce that life and grow more fruit. We see it there, I'm the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit and here it is because you can do nothing without me. So Jesus is telling 2,000 years ago the people that are closest to him that you need to remain in me because you can do nothing without me and he's telling us that today, we live in a culture today, even though I'll say there's there's a growing movement even in the professional world, of people realizing, okay, we need to rest. We need to have some balance between work and life. We need to have some self-care. We need to take care of our mental health. But even with that starting to grow a little bit, there's a massive side to our culture that has a really, really tough time with the simple act of abiding or resting might even be a good word there, resting in Christ, resting in Jesus as you abide. We live in a a perpetual swirl of social media influencers and social media directing us where to go, when to do this, nonstop marketing that explains to us how our lives should be lived. And it's created this paradigm that the modern American is all things at all times to all people. You can do it. You're an independent person. You're self-made. You grinded harder than everybody else and you made it work uh, and you didn't stop until you reached your goals. Everybody else was sleeping while you were working. Uh, you were always out hustling the next person. And there's, look, there's, there's nothing wrong with hard work. We think there's a lot of good in doing good work and having integrity in your work. But what Jesus is saying here. Is that you're striving and all the work you're putting into things, whether that be vocationally or the work you feel like you're putting in in spiritual endeavors, it's only fully realized in him and it's in vain if you're not dependent upon him as the life source by which your good works and your fruit is produced. And this feels like a very Christian-centric message if you're here and, and you don't count yourself as a follower of Jesus or you're figuring out what that means, this word is for you too. He's, he's telling you in this passage, hey, all the good that you're trying to do in your life, all the work that you're doing, it's only fully realized in him. Your call is to believe in him, believe in his words, believe in his life so that all those things you're doing can be of ultimate significance and of some eternal significance. If you're here and you are a Christian, the call for us in that circumstance is what we just read. It's to abide in him, to stop it all, take a break, don't literally quit everything, but but pause, whether that's in your soul, your spirit, and your heart, abide in Jesus, rest in Jesus. It's an easy trap to fall into, Especially as a Christian, sometimes we can be a little worse at it than other people. Might be with work, might be with, like I said, with spiritual endeavors, church, our family. We strive a lot because sometimes deep down we believe that it's our work and what we muster up within ourselves that really is of ultimate consequence. And the Bible's clear, the work being done on us in our lives, the molding and shaping, is happening from outside of us, meaning we're not the ones creating newness and goodness within ourselves. It's the spirit of God moving us forward to make those things happen. So it's not dependent on, on us in terms of the growth that is occurring. Yes, we have disciplines that we carry out, prayer, reading our word, communion with the saints, communion with God, but the work is the Lord's to grow and produce that fruit. But sometimes we're so quick to operate in our own power like we've been left to do it ourselves. Like the scriptures say, Jesus saved us, but then he left us here to sort of sort it out and figure it out, and that he'll see us on the other side of eternity. And that's not at all how it is. It can really thwart us um, in how we interact with those around us that we know Need Jesus. So, for some of us, because we feel like the pressure for someone to believe in Jesus, for someone to experience life change, we find ourselves in the position of, you know, if I can only say this, if I can figure out the right way to say it, if I can get them to understand this doctrine or this piece of theology, and next time I'm going to have a better argument, I'm going to have a better way to turn that phrase around to where they'll believe. And you know that's, that's not it. And maybe you're on the opposite side where you feel the pressure and the anxiety that you have to be the one that makes someone believe and instead of in the other scenario feeling like you're trying to always figure out the next turn of phrase or trick to make it happen, you find yourself paralyzed and just unable to move forward in any capacity with any types of spiritual conversations, with anybody. You can't remember the last time that you talked to someone about Jesus or even talked about anything of a spiritual degree. And in in both of those examples, whichever side of the coin you're on with that, because we all kind of fall somewhere in those two spheres, maybe a little bit anxious of what we should do because it feels like some pressure's on us or feel very confident in what we're supposed to be doing, but taking the approach of I'm making it happen, the call is to abide in Jesus, to remain and to rest in him. We're the branches, and all a branch has to do is stay connected to the vine. That's, the, that's your job in it all, is just to remain connected to the vine, to the life source that will allow you to bear fruit. Don't continue to be A branch that's that's dry and laying on the ground, thinking that you're gonna produce some fruit, and you're yelling back up to the vine, I'm gonna start producing that fruit any minute now. It's a it's a silly example, but it's how we operate sometimes is we think we're just gonna muster it up to produce this fruit in our lives, but we just haven't rested in Jesus and the work he's gonna do. Let's go on here to our last few verses. Um you know, when I think about, before I move on, um, when I think about that, about, about sharing the gospel and sharing, just having spiritual conversations with people, I'll, I'll talk about that more here in a minute. We'll, we'll, we'll get onto that uh, and maybe some ways that, that we can work on that in our lives. But the last two verses, if you remain in me, this is seven and eight, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this. That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, some of us, not all of us, can read and prove that you are my disciples and get back in that mindset, just like we finished talking about of, okay, I've got to prove to God that I'm I'm ready, that I that I want this, I want people to know Him. And, and I think there's a, there's a foundation of that. That, that's really beautiful because you want good things for people. You believe that Jesus is the son of God and he is the way to salvation. You want people to know that, but you might find yourself in the trap of going, okay, well, how many right things do I need to do or what are the right ways I need to go about showing God that I'm really trying to be a good disciple, that I'm really bearing fruit? And it is that trap because God has promised us that if we are in Christ and we remain on the vine, we will produce fruit. You see that? We will produce fruit. He will continue to prune and fruit will be produced. And it's one of those really incredible and mysterious things because we don't don't really see the effects of how that happens. There are sometimes you'll go through a, a whole period in life and all you'll know at the end of it is that I'm more patient than I used to be. And you might have some things that you, that you tangibly worked on throughout that time, but have any of you ever found yourself in that position where you go, there's a mark of my character now that was not a mark of my character before, and I honestly don't have an explanation other than it must be God at work in my life and the Holy Spirit is guiding me forward to change me and make me a different person. And it's not just behaviorally, you know what I mean? It's not just... I was bad and now I'm good. I used to be mean and now I'm nice. Excuse me, I'm talking about some of the deeper nuances of who we are, how you think about things. When you see a situation, when you see a person, when a circumstance is presented to you that you fundamentally think and act differently and you're somehow able to know that it's with a different mark of grace. That's not just us figuring out the formula to be a better person that i would say is the work of the holy spirit and the work of god in our hearts and it's this incredible mystery that we really can't understand other than to give testimony to somebody and go yeah i don't i don't know you know I've, i i kind of tried to do x y and z but yeah i don't it, it must be god working in my life because i surely felt this way years ago and i don't feel that way anymore i don't act that way and i don't think that way i think with a posture of humility and love um We have to remember that God is the author of our salvation. He's the one that has formed us as a branch on the true vine. He's the one that will provide that growth in someone else's life. I always, man, if you've been around me any amount of time, uh, I I will end up in some conversation about the planting and watering of seeds. I just, to me, that's the most incredible passage where it talks about us as believers in Christ being the planters and waterers of seeds, but God providing the increase. It's literally like a garden you would have. You plant the seeds and you water them, but you legitimately don't know when growth is going to happen. You can sort of time things out based on the seasons In the earthly example of all that. There are some ways we can know if growth is starting, but we don't really know. Is it because the last half ounce of water that I poured on that seed two days ago and the sunlight hit it the right way, that's when the growth happened? We just don't know. How much more do we not know when God is providing growth in someone's heart from a seed that was planted 10 years ago and water that you put on it six weeks ago? It's an incredible thing to think about. Um, and, and that's us. That, that's us trying to be disciples of Jesus. You know, we... God is the one producing the fruit in us. We're simply to follow Christ and be his disciple. And what does that mean? What does it mean to just abide in him and be his disciple? Well, for the sake of, of, I will assume that not everyone understands that context. The word disciple, especially in biblical times, was someone who was a devout follower of a teacher, literally many times following that person around wherever they went to learn about their day-to-day to imitate the life and the teaching of that teacher. And that's us, as we bear the good fruit, following Jesus, we are to be followers, imitators of his life and his teachings. And where it's different for us is that we are not just called by our master teacher, Jesus Christ, simply to follow him. We are to follow him, yes, but then we are to also go and make more disciples of Jesus. We're not only to follow him, we are to follow him and then take that fruit we are bearing and go out to other people. We're to take those acts of love, those holy conversations, quite literally the fruit of the Spirit as the Bible says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're to take them and we're to use them as gifts for those around us to point back to our Lord Jesus we're not to keep that to ourselves. The fruit we are bearing, it's an incredible sign that we are believers. It's an incre- of incredible value and worth to us, but we can use that as gifts for others to know here's this Jesus that is causing these wonderful things in my heart and in my life. And so now as we talk about making disciples and we wanna use this fruit to be a gift to others, to point to Jesus, okay, so now i got to go do some stuff, right? Well, look, this is not, this is not a sermon that's going to end in, and here are the five practical steps to go and get three people saved at your workplace and to say the right conversation. It's not that. It would be silly, and it, it is silly over the time, to reduce how you can share Jesus to just a couple bullet points of how to do it. There are great tactics to use, don't get me wrong, but... I don't want you to go into the mode of, okay, let's go into hyper-go mode. Um, but I do understand that if, if talking about Jesus, or even, here's the thing, you all, so much of the plantering, planting, plantering, I keep saying plantering, I think it's because we had some, we've been eating a lot of peanuts in our house lately, and I have planters in my head, even though they weren't even planters' peanuts, but Olive, lo- Olive loves peanuts in the shell and cracking them and eating them. She's probably eaten like five pounds over the last like week. It's incredible. Loves peanuts. Anyway, um, the work is the Lord's. And if you're not accustomed to sharing the name of Jesus or like I was saying, the planting and watering could be you just speaking a word of truth that doesn't say the word Jesus, but it's Jesus's truth. It's biblical truth. If you're not accustomed to those things, I understand it might be tough to know where to start. So so I'll give you this example. Uh, Some of you have heard this before, but I I think it's a good one. Um, I like to run. Uh, I haven't gotten to do it a lot lately. One, because it's cold. One, because I've kind of like hurt my leg. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, That's beside the point. Uh, But I really like to run, but I picked it up later on in life. I didn't run as a kid, Uh, I played basketball, but I didn't like go running. I didn't do cross country or track when I was in high school. I didn't do anything like that. So I found myself in like 2015, 2016, not happy with my health. Had some, uh, I wasn't exercising. You, You know those times where you like, you see a picture of yourself and you go, that's me? It was that was like 2015, 2016. So I started getting into some healthier habits. Didn't change a ton of things, but enough to where it helped make some changes in my life. And I thought you know what, I'm going to take up running. Uh, Because it felt like one of those things, you didn't have to have a ton of gym equipment, you didn't have to go buy a gym membership, I didn't have to have a ton of weights, you just put on shoes and go running, and that was exercise and it was good for you. Um, But since I'd never done it before, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. Like, I conceptually knew how to run. I had like run in life before, I wasn't like standing on the street corner Crying, and someone's like, "Sir, what's wrong?" And I go, "I don't know how to run." And they're like, "What did you just say?" I don't. I just don't. It wasn't like that. I knew how to run, but the point. Can you imagine me standing there, just crying, being like, "I don't. I just don't." I'd be like, "It's okay, buddy. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you, Olive, Jeremiah. Thank you all." Um, but what I mean is, is I couldn't run for more than like three minutes at a time without my lungs feeling like they were gonna burst, without my legs feeling like they were burning up. And I really didn't understand how people could run. I remember running and being like, I don't know how people do this Uh, for a marathon, much less like a mile. Like I don't understand how this is happening. But it wasn't until I went on a run with Sarah that I figured it out. So Sarah and I went to run, and she started us off at a pace that really just felt like we were kind of gently hopping down the sidewalk. It was no joke like this. And I remember in that moment going, oh my goodness, I get it. Like in my mind, I had this vision of running as watching the Olympics track and field and watching like Michael Johnson or Usain Bolt or whoever or watching some commercial for like New Balance shoes or Asics and watching somebody run and like, yeah, that's running, but those people are running at like a six-minute-a-mile pace, and you can't start out like that. You have to start off slow and steady, and you have to work up your endurance. And it really clicked for me. Like, oh, my goodness, I can run. I just can't run like people winning gold medals at the Olympics. And, and that's a big example to say, I think sometimes if you find yourself in a moment where you hear a sermon, where you hear someone talk about how they talk to other people about Jesus or anything that makes you think, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if I'm doing this in the way I want to or the perceived way I'm supposed to. Um, We think we we need to go in the other direction and run the marathon. It'd be like feeling convicted that you've never really helped out the homeless population in your city, but then the way you go about starting to do that is you feel like you need to organize an entire rally of ending homelessness, and we're going to go through the city, and we're going to build everybody homes. And like maybe that's a worthy endeavor, but maybe you just start by going buying a a value meal for the person that you always pass by on the street. We sometimes have the tendency to think we've got to overcompensate for these spiritual things that we maybe feel a little guilty about. Whether or not it's right or wrong to feel that guilt, I think it's okay sometimes to feel like, oh no, I've missed the mark and what I know I'm called to do as a Christian, I don't think we need to stay in that place. But I think there are those moments where we go, okay, I need to change things. And then we wanna go all the way over here and then still don't do anything because we don't know how to do the really huge thing. And so we find ourselves again not doing anything. I don't think we need to do a whole block party for the neighborhood if you've never done that before when you might just wanna invite your neighbor over for dinner, or you don't need to do some sort of, I'm gonna talk about Jesus to every coworker i come in contact with this week if you've never done that before, but there's this person at work that already confides in you a little bit, and one time when they're telling you about a tough situation, you could just say, could I pray for you? I don't know if I've ever told you that I'm a Christian and I just feel like I I wanna pray for you right now that the Lord would care for you in this time. Um, Nowadays, I can run faster. I'm not super fast, but I can definitely run faster than I used to. And it was going slow. It was going slow. It was starting to do something and then trusting that that was gonna be good for me and that it was gonna produce good results later on. Um, I think we should do the same as we're thinking about how we share Jesus, how we share, um, for lack of a better term, nuggets of spiritual truths from the Bible with people. Uh, Start off slow, start off small. It doesn't have to be anything profound. There's so many ways that you won't realize that there is some growth occurring in someone's heart because we're not the ones that produce the growth and we're not the ones that may even see the growth. So as, as we close here, I'll give two final thoughts. One is gonna be for if you're sitting here and you're a Christian, you're someone who's already following Jesus and one, if you're somebody that's, that's hearing this and you don't know where you fall in the grand scheme of Jesus even being a figure that can be listened to for any type of life matters. What does Christianity mean in your life and, and in your story? So for the Christian, here's what it is. It's to abide. It's to remain in Jesus You don't have to be running the imaginary race to please God with how many things you're able to do supposedly for him. Stop trying to be a branch that's laying there by yourself, trying to produce fruit, when all that this passage calls us to do is to remain in him and stay connected to the vine. Be a faithful disciple, pursue holiness, seek after the things of God. He's gonna be the one who does the work of producing the results, the fruit in your life. And Lord willing, what a blessing if we see that in other people's lives too that are around us. If you're here and you're, you know, what we sometimes would call a seeker or someone that is just trying to understand what these words mean, what is Christianity, whether you think you have a great picture of that from previous experiences, or whether you legitimately don't know that much at all about the book of the Bible and who Jesus really is, for you, first off, I'll say thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for sitting through an entire message of something that you might not feel 100% about yet. And I will say that if you've sat here and and you didn't walk out the door half the way through the message because it just seemed like bull to you, I would say that that might be because you could be feeling some pull in your heart and in your spirit that maybe there's more to a passage like this than just a clever, smart, wise teacher giving a teaching in a book that seems to have good wisdom in it. That, that maybe... There's more than what you initially thought and maybe Jesus is who he says he is and I think that's good. See, I would say if you find yourself in that position, there's no coincidence that you might be experiencing that, that you probably haven't just manipulated yourself into manufacturing a feeling that maybe Jesus is really who he says he is and maybe all these words are actually life. I would say it's probably God impressing his truth upon your heart and upon your mind. So I would say don't turn away from that. So the, the call for you is to, is to believe, is to follow Jesus. You know, I mentioned this earlier in the sermon at the beginning. He, he said in one of those other I Am statements that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one, no one can come to the Father, meaning no one can really know who God is if they're not coming through him. Jesus is the way to know God. He is the manner by which we understand the story God has been writing all throughout history. And so all you have to do is believe, follow him, And then all these words that we've been talking about, they're not just words on a page anymore. They're not just words that someone spoke 2,000 years ago. They are words that become reality and truth and life to you, and they'll fundamentally change who you are now, who you'll be tomorrow, and who you'll be for eternity. So if you find yourself in that boat, or if you find yourself in the other one too, conversations should occur, meaning if you have some thoughts on your mind, please come talk to me. Come talk to anybody else that you saw in like a greeting capacity as you walked through the building. Those folks will know what it means to tell you about Jesus, or if you're already a brother or sister, to come alongside you and help encourage you. We would love to talk more about all that. Let's pray together.